0: Cool. Well, uh, it's it's great to meet you. So uh, I'm I'm Rob. I think you gathered that I'm the CTO here at um, CircleCI. I, as far as as I know, and I'm totally happy to make this the case. The goal here is just to to be conversational. Um, so I don't have a ton of fixed messaging or, or pathway prepared. I'm happy to just talk about you know whatever. But uh, I'll give you the super briefest intro um, on just you know CircleCI and myself. Um, so we're a continuous integration, continuous deployment uh, platform. We do that both uh, as a cloud or SaaS offering, and as a what we call server, but you know mm-hmm. behind your firewall offering, where you can take the product, install it, run it for yourself. That end of the spectrum is quite typically the you know, global 1000 type of customer. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the SAS offering actually includes some very large customers, but right. is a place where you can just come and sign up as a, as a tiny company or a, a startup and, and get going. Um, we've been doing that since late 2011, early 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we now I think we just broke 6 million builds a month um, on the cloud offering. So, to the best of our knowledge, I'll say one of the biggest, maybe the biggest public uh, offerings of this type of service out there. So we run at a pretty large scale. Um, and um, I mean, some, as I said, some large sort of global 1000 customers all the way down to, to small startups. Uh, I myself came to circle CI through the acquisition of a small iOS specific um, CI company that was called distiller. That was in 2014. Um, and, you know, was, have been in sort of VPN, CTO role uh, since then. We now have a separate VP of engineering, one of the things that happens as you grow. Um, and I came in, that acquisition included uh, another gentleman by the name of Jim Rose, who's now the CEO of CircleCI. So we've worked together for a long time uh, prior to that. Okay. Um, uh, myself, tech, since the late 90s, uh, you know, every kind of startup uh, and many acquisitions and with sort of the, the standard life of a of a techie here in the bay mm. um and uh happy to go into any of that but not super relevant to the to the circle c i conversation
1: well i um, mean actually I, I don't know if uh, you could obviously you can't necessarily speak personally to it but from a company perspective i i actually i do a lot of documentation work as well so i do work with dev teams quite regularly mm-hmm. and I, I actually do some work for one of your competitors <laughs> as well um uh but there were already at the time circle ci emerged a couple of popular kind of ci platforms Mm -hmm. um but i have actually encountered a lot of developers switching to circle ci which you're probably happy to hear
0: yeah that sounds great
1: um but i so i guess the the first question would be what was the motivation in starting the company in the first place
0: right yeah that, that is a great question so um At the time, and I can speak uh, both from the company perspective and from what I was doing Mm -hmm. at the time, uh, not using CircleCI and the frustrations I was having. So, um, at the time, which is, again, late 2011 when sort of inception, you know, decision to do Mm -hmm. something like this, um, software development, particularly startups uh, and and the startup I was working on included, were very sort of Rails monolith. Mm -hmm. uh, And there were a couple of things that came with that, right? Mm -hmm. So, you've got the DHH view of the world, and I don't know how influential he was on the decision or not, but um, and the Rails community, Ruby community overall, like unit testing in that world or even integration functional testing, just automated testing in general, was very rapidly becoming the thing that you did, right? We were So we were sort of going through this transition and I, I've always been fascinated by kind of the first seminal work on some of these topics. And if you look back, you're 12 years before that, at least, when people really started talking about this, you know, you're back in extreme programming and um, and stuff like that. But uh, around this time, just everyone transitioning to these lighter weight frameworks to really easy-to-use tools for doing testing, it became really obvious that this is what you should do. And, and so we were a rail shop uh, that I was working in at the time, or that I started, honestly. Um, and... We were using Jenkins to do this. And it was a lot of work, right? Yeah. And it was a big part of what we did every day um, was just manage that as we were growing, as our test suite was growing, the time it took to get something to production. We were a continuous deployment shop, um, which I had sort of embraced at the beginning of 2011, starting this other company that I was working on called Copius. And uh, and so we were, I mean, we were the target market. We were just a tiny bit early for Circle CI. We had already invested all this energy in, in getting... Um, this Jenkins thing set up and then Mm. we wound it down around the time that we learned about, um, circle CI, but it was, it was work. I mean, just getting parallelism and breaking up our tests and distributing them across these systems. I mean, we were investing a significant amount of our time and energy in what we now commonly refer to as undifferentiated heavy lifting, right. Mm. Which is like a lot of work, but our customers didn't care at all about that. I mean, they did because our product was functional but they didn't care that we had done it versus someone else doing yeah, it. For sure. um, and so there were, there were people like that all over the world um, setting up these systems and managing them. And, and I often joke, as, as someone who's done many startups, that um, you know, CircleCI, the team, launched this product. And product market fit was about 15 minutes after launch. Like mm-hmm. if you've been through the process of launching a company, that is the dream. Right, everyone thinks, "Oh, I'm going to turn this thing on, and everyone's going to come, and and it's going to be exactly what they always wanted." That never turns out to be true, or or in many, many cases, doesn't turn out to be true. And Circle CI was one of the exceptions. And so there were so many people doing this work and frustrated by doing this work. And I was actually introduced to Circle CI by one of, initially by one of the engineers I was working with on this other Rails project, who had a side project. And as soon as he heard of Circle, just shut down what he was doing and moved it over to Circle, Um, just because it was so. Easy to get up and going, and so little work to manage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really the driver. Was just there's this huge amount of effort that people all over the world are putting in that's slowing them down from doing the thing that they really want to do, which is you know build a business, build a product that that drives um, you know their customer value, their and real value to their end customers. So,
1: so yeah. So sort of technically and process wise, what do you do differently from the the the, the two Main competitors at the time, uh, like Jenkins and Travis, well, if we could call them competitors because they were mostly open source but um, those platforms anyway
0: yeah so there there are definitely two different cases um, and I would say that in the case of um, in the case of Jenkins, really it's that self management yeah. I mean of course, I mentioned that now and our server product that you can take and install is a much later um, development than the initial uh, cloud SaaS offering so um so if we just go back to that time frame to start it was really the differentiation of we are going to operate this thing for you and you just show up and do the part that you understand uh which is you know how your product works how you want your tests to run and even that we have a lot of ability to sort that out I mean using Rails as the example mm. if you worked on I mean the the fundamental premise of Rails as a rapid development framework was convention over configuration, right? So everything is done exactly the same way in every Rails project, which means when we see a Rails project, we already know what to do. Mm. We don't need to have you build out this massive configuration file and tell us how your system is set up, because we know we can just look at it and figure it out, right? Um, And so the process of running Jenkins was doing all of that for yourself, as well as running the instance. And then if if you fast forward a little bit, what we learned call us lucky, but, you know, it's often it's better to be lucky than good sometimes, is as we went into large enterprises, the, the historical DNA, if you will, of being SaaS-oriented um, put the split of work in the right place. And what I mean by that is we needed to operate this product for developers, but deve- we needed to put into the hands of developers the ability to truly manage their own workflow. And if you look at how Jenkins is built – you know, you, you adjust your workflow by adding plugins to a central server install and having to go to a large IT department in a, in a large organization or opposite giving every developer access to change the Jenkins server that other people are using, um, creates a lot of problems, right? So the solution to that is now everybody has their own Jenkins server and everybody's back where we were, which is you're, you're managing Jenkins instead of writing code, right? So we, um, so, kind of a fundamental DNA perspective, just really focused on the split, putting control in the hands of developers, but only the control that they want, not all the maintenance and overhead that goes with it. Um, when you look at at Travis, you, you highlighted this a little bit yourself. I mean, the the big differentiator is is again, let's call it DNA. Um, in, in terms of where we were coming from, um, they they came out with a strong focus on open source, uh, which was which was great, uh, but you know, we came out of the gate thinking about paying customers mm-hmm. um, and thinking about like the, the most standard comparison that I make is if I'm working particularly on a side project or a small open source project, um, sort of performance and execution time isn't really a priority for me, right? It's like, let's be honest, many people are going to submit PRs against my project that I'm not going to read or I'm going to close them and just be like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Um, and so if those get built within an hour, within 10 minutes, whatever the sort of delay and time frame is to get room or capacity on the platform, doesn't really matter. But um, we're very focused on execution, performance, and throughput because we're talking about commercial entities, right? People who are paying developers to either continue developing or sit idle while they wait. Um, you know, for their builds to run, mm. and so a uh, strong focus on parallelization and being able to take a really big or a complex project and break it up uh, and distribute it across a lot of machinery in order to get it to execute quickly, um, uh, along with just ensuring there's always you know enough spare capacity online and pricing around that to make sure that we're we're very focused on that sort of commercial entity that's building software as their day to day work.
1: Okay, and what is a typical workflow for someone? using circle ci is it um i think i i've definitely seen uh, yaml files in repositories that i think relate mm-hmm. to circle ci but what's a typical workflow to to start afresh or to switch uh, a project from a different ci tool to circle ci how do you get started
0: yeah so it would it would be the same in both cases um we don't you know we don't do a lot of trying to translate other people's um Configs or anything like that, mm. mostly because, like I said, in, in something like Jenkins, it's all installed on the server. It's not really something that we can get. Mm. Uh, we get a lot more mileage just out of looking at the project and figuring out how it should be built. Um, and so, in the simplest cases, um, you know, we can we can figure that out directly, or give you a uh, config that we've generated that's based on our understanding of your project, and then you can tweak it. Um, and the goal is to get people, you know, up and running with a green build. Um, as quickly as possible. I would say that works better if you adopt early, mm-hmm. right? So the more complex your project is, uh, the less likely we can just guess at how it's all set up. Um, but generally, you know, in, in this sort of standard case, you, you start with a small project, and so we can figure it out basically, um, or generate a, a config for you. But then, one thing that we um, that we really focused on in the release of our 2.0 platform, which we haven't talked about specifically but was um, middle of this year, is putting even more in the hands of developers in that previously we would do some of this figuring out but then not tell you what we had figured out. Now we give it to you so you can tweak it very specifically um, to your needs. And so you generate a config, put that into your project exactly as you said, so that it's in your hands, you can have um, you know code, or uh, version control of your config, just like you do of your code. Um, And then you push it up to Git, uh, GitHub, Bitbucket, whatever you're using, which will trigger a notification to us, and we'll run that build and give you some feedback about it. Um, And then as your project develops, uh, let's say you add some new dependencies, which not libraries, most of that stuff is handled, but if you, okay, now we're using a cache, so we need to have that in the environment, Uh, then you can detail out exactly what you want the environment to look like uh, in which your um, your testing is running so that uh, so that it looks as much like production as possible um, we run all that in a, a set of containers that we effectively compose together to create an environment that looks just like yours um, and then at that point it's the workflow itself is a little behind the scenes in that you um, you know you're pushing to github or, or bitbucket as I said uh, with your commits and that's telling us that there's new code and we're running builds and giving you feedback where you want it, uh, which might be in email, might be in Slack, or it could be in the user interface of our product, or actually on a, a pull request. Sure, so for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. You and create you a pull have, request, you, you have status in on that. In- GitHub yeah. Marketplace,
1: I saw, yeah, the, the, yeah. I love those those uh, CI platforms that comment directly in pull requests. It's always nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we try to be where you are right? yep. uh, as a developer.
1: And actually on that, so... Uh, I mean, I think this is somewhat standard these days with most CI platforms. But you support Docker. Do you support other containers like Rocket as well, or just Docker um, right now?
0: So yes and no. Um, and so we we support Docker in a more complete way. Yeah. Um, but we also offer um, different environments in which you can execute your build. One of which we call the Machine Executor Executor and then whichever. Um, and in that world, you can do pretty much whatever okay. you want. So we spin up an empty VM. Yeah. Uh, you can install things in that VM. You have full root access because sure. we're just going to wipe it at the end. Um, and so for people who want to do things with other container environments, uh, we do allow that. And I would say in the world of, of Docker, where we've done a little bit more to do some of those things for you, um, you know, our, our, thinking in building that, and this is something that we we greatly enhanced in 2.0 was, this is the current leader, but that doesn't mean that you know the whole world is going to go to Docker. Um, it's always hard to tell uh, with these new technologies sure. where things are going to end up. And so, if you know, if the world suddenly shifted and everything was driven by Rocket, for example, or something yeah. else, um, we have a clean enough abstraction in there that we could build out a little more first-class functionality yeah. for us. It's just not something that we. Can no, no, for it. sure,
1: for sure. And I mean, I'm always interested with, uh, especially with CR companies that. You know, I, I sort of understand um, that as it's a VM, you can mostly do what you want. So you'll support most languages and most frameworks and any sorts of dependencies and things like that that you might need. Um, but is that is that really true? Like, are there certain things that you will block or long running processes that you say this isn't okay and you terminate them? Uh, I remember breaking a, a CI platform once because I was trying to do. Um, a huge uh, Pandoc job converting Markdown files to PDFs
0: <laughs> yeah. and that took well,
1: too long and that killed the, the, the VM. But, um, right. Yeah. No, so we, what, we, yeah. Have,
0: we have some timeouts, uh, which is just sort of, I think at some point we say, are, are you really testing? Cause this doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> no developer would wait this long. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we offer solutions, you know, parallelization and other ways yeah. to solve that problem. Um, and actually, resource classes is another thing that we uh, that we launched in our two release, which is um, the ability to use different sizes of VMs effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there's there's those sort of means to manage that. As far as other things that we block, they tend to be uh, more at the security level. So if you have the machine executor, then you're you're like I said, it's a VM, so it's yeah. it's very clean. In a yeah. in a more Docker environment, uh, we have a lot of walls around that, um, just to keep it isolated. Um, and so if you're trying to do things that are extremely low level, you know, manipulating tuning elements of the operating system, we're not going to allow that. Um, and in those cases you would move to, uh, you know, to the VM model. Mm.
1: And it, I, I'm guessing this is came from your acquisition. So you also support macOS. Uh, Mac OS uh, yeah, I'm great. guessing mostly for iOS, but there might be a few macOS application developers there too. What's what's that like cuz I actually back in the day, back in the day, I used to actually do a lot of macOS support and in those days we actually used to run a few servers when Apple used to make Xserve and things like that. <laughs> but they yeah. don't really do that anymore. So what's it what's it actually like how possible is it to run mac os servers for for things like this how do you actually do it
0: yeah so it's i mean it's possible yeah. uh it's it's a challenge for sure um and so we use virtualization um in that environment but we do it with with mac hardware okay. um and that's i mean partly just uh, the realities of apple and how they think about their operating system and what they want you to do yeah. um and so you know we're we're happy to to foot the bill um you know and and stay within the bounds of of sort of apple's desires like i think they uh you know that at the end of the day they want us to be purchasing mac hardware and we're more than happy to do that um it's it's challenging um you know they're they don't build uh hardware that's really let's say, optimized for the data center or sort of mm. from your experience. I mean, they got rid of the, those servers. Um, and so, you know, we we do our best to make that work. Um, but there's just going back to the undifferentiated heavy lifting, you know, from your own experience, you would know that managing Macs is not a fun project.
1: No, uh, no. And, and
0: <laughs> you, you should just give up. They don't have, <laughs> have great experience with it. And so, so they're more than happy to hand that over. And that's actually been... You know, I, I, truth be told, when when Distiller was acquired, we were a very, very small business. Yeah. We just bought the kind of our technical expertise that we had, you know, we'd figured out this process. Um, but we've been able to grow that business very healthily as part of um, CircleCI because it's it's about the complete picture. Right. Mm. So I'm I'm a software developer and uh, and I'm making an iOS app, but my iOS app has a backend. Right? Sure. It's, yeah, of
1: course. It's yeah, yeah. written
0: in yeah. Node or Rails or yeah. whatever. And so I'm. Uh, I want to test all those things, and it's a lot easier to me to know one interface and maybe even be able to test them together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the th- that that's been great for us actually, as we launched workflows, um, which is similar to pipelines. You know, if you're thinking about other products, is that um, people who do do things like. Um, Uh, they have a single code base that then generates code that needs to be tested for Android, needs to be tested for iOS, et cetera. They can do all that on our platform because they can do one of those stages in a Linux container and then spin up a bigger sort of Linux environment to do the Android testing, throw the result over into an iOS um, VM or a Mac OS VM to do the iOS testing and get the whole thing done in one place. Um, And so – that actually is is really significant. That applies to um, to your point to the uh, like Mac OS sort of desktop. Mm,
1: for sure, yeah. And so you mentioned in the conversation the uh, version two. Uh, so what were the major differences between version one and two, and, and why did you decide to to do this sort of huge version shift?
0: Yeah. So it, it's it's a. Funny question is like a, a philosophical and almost religious question for us as a CI and CD company to have a, you know, 2.0. Um, and, it you know, CircleCI was a startup. We, we are a startup, I guess, and it depends on your definitions. but um, And uh, we, I talked a little bit about product market fit coming out of the gate. But, but as a company, you know, we very much did the right thing. And I'll say we, I wasn't there at the time. Um, but, you know, MVP, right? Like, is this a business that anyone cares about? let's put a product out and figure that out. Um, And with such great, to be honest, early adoption and quick scaling, um, there were just some, some pieces of technical debt or scalability that over time became uh, much more noticeable. So it was really an operational kind of view Mm -hmm. initially. Um, But because our product is so, I don't know the right word for it, but I just always call it raw, meaning at the end of the day, we're, we're almost 50% SaaS, 50% PaaS. Like you are executing your code in our environment as a platform. Um, you know, our performance and scalability and reliability are very apparent to our customers, right? Mm-hmm. And when we switch instance type within AWS, our customers notice. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, just like all of those things, our operational um Sort of scale was becoming an issue as we, you know, as a result of our own success, which is not something to complain about. But we initially looked at uh, kind of iterating our way out of it, but we realized we're sort of at a local maximum. Like we can make this architecture work better, but if we were to sit down and do this from scratch, we would do it differently. And part of that was operational, and part of it is some of this other stuff that we've talk, been talking about. Like in 2011, 2012, a Rails monolith was the was the primary model for building an application, right? In 2015, 2016, Docker was becoming very, very important to people. Um, The shift, uh, even when it wasn't the right decision, the shift to microservices from Monolith was Mm. happening everywhere. And so the the kind of style of development of the 2011 era was reflected in our architecture and sort of what we enabled you to do and what we didn't enable you to do. So it was partly about, Getting ourselves operational scale, but also about creating not only a model that you know embraced Docker, embraced microservices, um, and how you you know integrate and understand between those, make your test environment look like your production environment for those cases, but also set us up for more flexibility for you know 2020 when the world has a whole new way of building software, so that we're not as locked into kind of the current state of affairs. So I would say, you know, again. Performance and reliability was a big underlying operational theme for us. Mm. And then really looking more like the way people were building software now versus then uh, from a from a feature perspective. And then things like workflows were the icing on the cake, like building that on top of our old architecture would have been very challenging. Building it on top of our new architecture was a, a great
1: outcome. So, I mean, obviously you, you've mentioned the hundreds of millions, I think, of builds you get each month. So uh based
0: on some was, of those about six million hundreds of millions oh of sorry six million, <laughs> million we've okay, passed yeah. hundreds a hundred million or more but yeah about 6 okay million. all
1: right um, what are some of the trends you sort of notice over time by observing some of those builds if you do and um i guess had what does that dictate what your next moves might be
0: yeah so a couple of those things well you know going back and and, and so we definitely look at both um, actually we look at a lot of things and looking at the builds actually talks a little bit about um, our, our next moves as well so um, there's there's a whole there's a bunch of things to unpack in there. so we got to where we are in this 2.0 launch and in particular workflows on top of that by really looking at how people's development style was changing and what they needed. Part of that is looking at the builds and part of that is then, you know, inferring some, some notions and going and talking to customers and saying, hey, we think you're trying to do this. You know, does that make sense? Would that support you? Um, and, uh, and so a lot of what we've seen as changes is what got us to here. Mm-hmm. But to the point of looking at builds, where we are now and, and talking about this volume of build, uh, just uh, capacity that we process or whatever, is, is the data that we have as a result. Right, um, and so actually using that as a, um, a source of value to our to our customers, right? Um, and so we've we've started to look at this just from a um, outside of the product perspective. Like, if we go and dive into that data, what can we learn? Not just about um, people's builds themselves, right? So uh, maybe uh, one, one really interesting area that we're we're exploring is the dependency graph, right? So I use the same gems if we're talking about rails that you do mm. and I just upgraded and mine are broken. And that's, that would be interesting to you. And we can tell you cause we know what you're doing. Right. Um, and so really providing guidance back to customers about how they can optimize their build based on what else is happening in the environment. That could be um, again, dependencies from a, a sort of library perspective like that. Also uh, dependencies, from a system perspective. So uh, examples that we do take advantage of, um, you know, you might need to pull a bunch of um, uh, sources, like uh, apt get packages into your build in order to execute. Um, And if those servers are down, then all of our customers are going to be affected that are in the same boat. And we actually will reroute the caches that we build and stuff like that to keep people moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sort of uh, tooling or, or, um, operationalizing those sorts of things. But also if you go a little higher level, the the teams themselves, right? Um, So one thing that we're fascinated by in that data is how often do people build? How big are the commits that they're taking and building, Mm. right? Like how are you performing against other companies like you, maybe by the size of your code base or the number of developers that you have, like, is there something that you can learn from the general world about how you could be moving differently? Because at the end of the day, we're not about CI, we're about making teams better at delivering their software and value to their customers, right? So we sit in the middle of this really important value chain that many of us refer to as DevOps or whatever. And so with that much insight, we should be able to feed that back to our customers and help them improve their process and get better at what they do. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And, and, yeah. and so bearing all that in mind, I mean, uh, what is next? What are your, what's, what's kind of the most recent developments and what's on the roadmap for the next couple of months that you would like people to know about?
0: Um, Great, great question. So I, I would say... Uh, <laughs> and if
1: there's yeah, nothing, then that's fine. <laughs> no, well,
0: there's, there's never nothing. I'm just trying to think about what we're excited about or, or what we're talking about. So um, I think that uh, some big areas, truthfully, that we're focusing on when you just talk about the next couple of months um, are on the the server side yeah. of the product. Yeah. So we're, um, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we're moving into a lot of these sort of global 1000 accounts. And, um, and so doing some things to better serve that market in terms of how we integrate into those environments. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, um, if you've participated in in um, enterprise uh, enterprise sales at all or, or enterprise software at all, you know, those environments are always uh, interesting mm, uh, to mm. participate in. Um, so that's a big thing is just, you um, I'm trying to think of some examples of that that would be worth thinking about. But like we in the um, in the small startup world, for example, uh, everyone just defers their ownership to GitHub, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in a large organization, you have things like Active Directory defining, you know, who can do what within an organization. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working
1: in an organization like that. Yeah. Garrett, we use.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, like other sources of like, like, uh, in that environment, other source control servers or VCS servers, um, the ability to define an active directory who yeah. has access to what, um, in a SOX compliant world, um, the ability to separate people who can even write to code and administer the code mm. base from people who have the right to change production. Um, again, all things that in a, uh, you know, in a SaaS sort of startup-y, small, scrappy world, these things people don't think about. These things. Yeah, not for I mean, sure. Talk about large public banks, for example. Yeah. <laughs> the world is very different, right? Yes. Um, and uh, and so there's that. And then that, so a lot of that is what we call the um, the operator experience a little bit, like not necessarily the developer on the on the front side of the application, but how it integrates into that environment. Mm. Uh, and and so that's a big. Uh, source of effort right now. And then the other is, um, as we, as we launched 2.0, we, um, we invested a lot in exposing as as I talked about more control, like hiding the magic that we were doing in 1.0, um, putting more of that into the hands of developers. But, uh, we, uh, we've always prided ourselves on being very simple to get up and going and get, um, and get working. And so, um, cleaning up some of those things as well as putting some things in the hands of developers to mm. share, if that makes sense. Like, um, And this happens both in large organizations where there's, well, we have a thousand repos and we want everyone to be able to use the following patterns you know, in all of their builds and then they can customize the part they, they want to customize. Um, so providing things in that way as well as just embracing um, uh, like knowledge and practices from the community and allowing people to contribute back to how we execute builds um, in basically in when, when it was all ours and all magic, we had to build it all ourselves. Right. But if there's one thing that developers love, it's like a new framework. Um, <laughs> and building more, and, more of them, and so we can end up chasing our tails, just trying to implement the features of all of those frameworks or the, the right patterns for all those frameworks yeah, and, yeah. and just trying to be experts in them. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're a shop of people working on a closure application. So if they were all new closure frameworks, we'd be great, but, um, you know, when someone comes out with something in Node, like we have people who've used Node um, and we can do a decent job, but we're never going to be the experts of people who work on it every day. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, really giving them uh, ways to to give us um, extensions to the platform or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That can be
1: cool. Okay. Um, thanks very much for your time. Um, yeah. Yeah interesting i think the 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 fascinating thing with a platform like circle ci is the at the the big selling point of it is actually kind of as simple as possible to get started so actually there's not a massive amount to tell people it's like <laughs> it's like just sort of get started and things should just mostly work for you, you know?
0: yeah i think that the thing that's super fascinating about that that is um I mean, I, have worked in, like I said, I've worked in software for a very long time, mm. but, uh, this is my, my deepest foray into developer tools, yeah. um, is, is balancing that very specific challenge of easy to get started, but really putting, uh, the complexity and the control in the hands of developers yeah. if they yeah. want it, uh, because they do, <laughs> developers want control, they like right? To play. They yeah. only want yeah. it when they want it. Like it's, it's yeah. a very fascinating yeah. sort of persona, um, yeah. To work with, and so um, I, I do think that's a really interesting, um, you know, challenge for us, and something that we focus on, and that that we really enjoy um, thinking about. And then, as I said, sort of growing beyond just the tool into how we um, how we can um, help teams be better at all the things they're trying to go through right now in terms of adopting DevOps and um, and uh, you know, just that sort of more cultural structural view of, of how we build software is, is super fascinating to us. Mm -hmm.